Hello, and welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and this week we have two guests. The first is Felipe Gordillo, who is a senior ESG analyst here with BNP Paribas, uh, and also Shang Wu Jung, who is an ESG analyst that works with Felipe, and we're going to be discussing green bonds. But before we get to our Q&A, if we just think about hopefully some of the positive consequences of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, one I think has been a change of mentality and that we're willing to think much bigger when we contemplate solutions to problems. And as an example of that, think back to the global financial crisis and the infrastructure package that was proposed then. Uh, and the rescue packages then were $500 billion, $800 billion. And they were quite controversial at the time for being so large. Whereas now, of course, with the coronavirus pandemic uh, in the U.S. alone, you've seen trillions and trillions of dollars of stimulus measures uh, and likely more to come. So what we considered to be uh, sums that were unrealistic suddenly have become quite realistic. Uh, that's important then we, when we think about uh, the consequences and the threat from climate change. Uh, previously, it was easy enough to discuss what the risk was, but the solution seemed just uh, inconceivable, or the amount of money involved for investment just seemed inconceivable. And I would argue that that's uh, less the case now. Uh, we certainly become more sensitive to global threats than we were in the past. Again, uh, in a sense, thankfully, because of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, in the past, a, a pandemic seemed a, a quite diffuse risk, and now it's very real. Uh, similarly, climate change at times can seem quite diffuse, uh, but I think we now appreciate it can become very real. And now with the new Biden administration, the stars do seem to be aligned for more significant efforts to combat climate change. Part of that is going to be the energy transition, getting a larger and larger share of the global economy away from its dependence on fossil fuels, uh, and more towards sustainable energy. And what we're going to talk about today are green bonds, which we see uh, as a key part of that transition. So I'm going to start with you, Felipe. Uh, kind of pretty basic questions. Uh, first off, what is a green bond exactly? And also, when I read about green bonds, I see a discussion of taxonomies. And frankly, I'm, I'm not really sure what a taxonomy is. Uh, I think I know it's not taxidermy, but it starts to say, <laughs> so please, uh, if you could answer those questions, what is a green bond, uh, what are taxonomies exactly, and why do they matter for green bonds? So, so a green bond <clears throat> is a classical fixed income security. The only difference with uh, a conventional security is that the proceeds are invested in uh, green projects and activities that will contribute whether to tackle climate change or other environmental challenges. Uh, now, the question on, on the taxonomy. Uh, well, a taxonomy basically is, a green taxonomy is a tool to solve a market imperfection. And what is the market imperfection we're trying to solve? Well, is the fact that we don't have today a consistent definition of what a green asset is. So having a taxonomy is a way to solve this uh, market uh, imperfection. So basically, a taxonomy is a list of uh, activities uh, made of thresholds and criteria that basically uh, defines economic activities that will contribute 
to tackle climate challenges, environmental challenges, um, and so on. Uh, so the use of a taxonomy can be very broad. It's not only about green bond issuances, but it's also about, for example, um, uh, contributing to uh, corporate disclosures. In Europe, we have the uh, European Directive on Non-Financial Disclosures that is based on this taxonomy. But also, a taxonomy can be used uh, uh, through central banks' operations. We have seen in the past how PBOC has used his green catalog to uh, into the um, uh, collateral operations they have with uh, with banks. And of course, the taxonomy can be used also to drive public finance. We have seen the commitment from the European Investment Bank to use the taxonomy as a tool on their loan operations. PBOC is uh, the Chinese central bank. Great, thanks for that clarification, Felipe. That that helps quite a bit. Uh, so I've learned I've learned something today. Next question then is for Shang. Could you share with us what our approach is to green bonds? And, and by that, uh, how do we think about greenness? Uh, how do we think about integrity? And what about ambition? Right. Um, and and that's, that's, a, that's, that's a bit of a long question. And, and perhaps let me start with a bit of history. Um, the, the first green bond was issued by the European Investment Bank um, in 2007. And so if we think about it, green bonds have come a long way. It's been more than 10 years uh, for the market to evolve and for the market to mature. And so what we see across this um, length of time is that the market has arrived at a consensus around what green bonds should look like or should not look like uh, from a structural uh, perspective. Um, back then, the focus was around what were the activities, what were the projects being financed uh, by the green bond, as well as what were the environmental benefits um, from those um, activities. Now, what we have seen um, via our own assessment is that um, green bonds have matured over time. Our scores showed that the structure of green bonds have stabilized. And we think, okay, what is really uh, the next step for green bonds? Now, last year in 2020, the Bank of International Settlements actually produced a paper that said green bonds, they do not reduce emissions from issuers. And th that is to say that green bonds are not helping issuers to decarbonize. And that for us created a bit of, um, um, I'd say, a, it's, it was a problem that we observed but couldn't really express quite, quite clearly. And I think that acted as a catalyst for us to, to revise our, our approach to green bonds. And therefore, you know, the revised approach that we have is um, embodied in these three concepts, greenness, integrity, and ambition. Now, where the EU taxonomy, or rather the taxonomy comes into play, is understanding the greenness of the use of proceeds. And why do we use the EU taxonomy? Um, the EU taxonomy, that the purpose of that was to 
define a list of activities that we can use um, in a net zero world. Net zero meaning meaning um, a net CO2 um, zero world by 2050. And so it, um, in, in very simple terms, it defines what are um, sustainable activities. And so what we're trying to do is to say, look, if you're trying to build a new project or invest in a new activity, we are using now the EU taxonomy to say, is this new project, is this new facility, is it green? And if it is green, then that checks our box for greenness. Then in terms of the second concept, which is integrity, what we're trying to do over here is to understand how exactly will the uh, project be executed, will the negative risks um, in terms of uh, environmental pollution or, uh, or social, uh, social harm, will they be mitigated? And will there be sufficient disclosure? And so that's what we call integrity of the implementation of the green bond. And the last point, ambition. And, and I think this is probably um, the most um, important and the most interesting element of, of our three concepts. And that is trying to understand where is the issue going in the next few years? For example, is it aiming to be um, Paris aligned by 2050? Or is it following um, you know, some international benchmark for, for plastics for on, on another topic? And so we have that ambition, but it also needs to back it up with the money. It needs to put where, the money where the mouth is. And so we want to look at the capital expenditure, the, the plans, uh, capex plans of, of the company. So for example, if, if a company says, hey, I want to be net zero by 2050, but in the next five years, I'm going to spend more than 50% of my capex in, in, in fossil fuels, then there begins the disconnect between the ambition and the actual um, actions of, of what the, the business is trying to do. The last point around ambition is, is to say, how does the green bond contribute to that capex plan? how much of that CapEx plan will be financed by the green bond. And, and obviously, if there is a stronger contribution, for example, um, more than 50% of the CapEx is being financed by, by green bonds, then we think that could be a very strong uh, connection over there. And so, so that, that is sort of our, our, our approach to green bonds, greenness, integrity, and, and, and ambition. Okay, that's much clearer. Thank you, Shang. Uh, next question, let's look at it from the investor's perspective. How should investors think about investing in green bonds? And probably the most important thing is, what do they offer to an investor? All right. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Daniel. Um, like what Felipe mentioned at the, in, in, you know, at the start, um, green bonds are the same as classical fixed income instruments, classical bonds. Uh, from a fundamental point of view, uh, they provide the same risk return profile because the green bond is backed by the same balance sheet of, of the issuer. And so from an ex ante uh, returns sort of a risk and return expectations point of view, they are equivalent. We, we do not expect any, um, any material differences. Of course, um, in terms of 
market behavior, there might be differences. And our experience when we look at green bonds is that um, there could be certain yield differences or volatility differences or liquidity differences um, when we look at green bonds versus conventional bonds. But those differences tend to go away over time. And, and usually they go away when there are more green bonds in a particular sector, for example, automobiles. So from a, from a financial return point of view, they actually bring about the same uh, return, uh, risk and return uh, um, uh, profile uh, for, for investors. And so the, the second question, or, or rather the second point is actually where it makes a difference. Uh, when compared to to regular fixed income, and that is the association of the investor's capital um, towards environmental benefits and towards the transition to a net zero world. I think that's where green bonds provides investors that direct association um, uh, uh, to 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 finance uh, the transition to a net zero world. And so um, I think when we when we explain to um, when we explain to the market, we say those are probably the the, the two main um, the two main um, benefits of investing in green bonds. Great, that that's very helpful, very clear, uh, Felipe. I think I'm going to turn back to you, if I may. Uh, are there other types of sustainable themed fixed income products that investors could also investigate? Absolutely. Uh, thanks, Daniel. Um, I think there are three trends in the uh, thematic fixed income market to, to follow. Key three uh, trends and also an additional one more from a microfinance perspective. Uh, in terms of uh, the type of securities and innovation we are seeing now in the market, uh, we have first um, an interesting development in the social bond market. In 2019, uh, social bonds account for around 5% of the total thematic securities printed that year. One year later, last year, we had uh, that social bonds represented about one third of the global thematic bonds that were printed last year. So that is an increase, substantial increase in social bond issuances. And part of that is, uh, not surprise, uh, a response to the COVID-19 crisis. So we have seen corporates, but also government-related entities that have been printing social bond debt to actually support the efforts uh, to respond to the current uh, pandemic and to the current crisis. But also, there is also innovation in the um, highly CO2-intensive uh, sectors. There has always been a debate in the green bond market about is it possible for a highly intensive CO2 corporate to issue green debt? Now, uh, we have seen different frameworks and guidelines that will help those corporates to issue green debt. And one of the key areas there as an investor, what we would like to see about this type of transactions is that we want to see plans from those highly CO2-intensive uh, corporates about how they deal with the potential uh, stranded assets that they will be financing to those transactions. In other words, uh, once you try to 
reduce the intensity of the carbon you are emitting, what are your plans for credible decommissioning of those assets that are still related to fossil fuels? The third innovation that we see in the market is what we call the KPI-linked bonds. We have seen uh, some transactions, very interesting, that basically they will link the coupon, so there will be coupon step-ups, depending on the capacity of the issuer to deliver against some sustainability targets. So I think there is an enormous opportunity to develop very interesting transactions. One of the last transactions that we saw, which was very interesting, was actually an hybrid concept of having in one side uh, the classical green use of proceeds bond, which was then complemented by an SLB structure. And we found that very interesting because it actually addresses one of the points that uh, Sheng raised before, and is the disconnect between the corporate's overall targets and the uh, assets that get financed through the green bond uh, transactions. So I think that's a very interesting development to see, an hybridization between the SLBs, the sustainability-linked bonds, and the classical green bond transactions. And just to finalize, I think that uh, there is also innovation on the regulatory side, on the macro finance side. I think that uh, there's interesting developments in the central bank uh, community. We have, for example, here in Europe, the ECB, the European Central Bank, uh, that has uh, committed to review its asset purchase program, you know, the CSPP, uh, this type of uh, programs, to review how green they are and how could they potentially be used to support green bonds and green transactions coming to the market. Fantastic, Felipe. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Sean. Uh, I think what we've all learned today, or certainly I've learned, uh, is that on one hand, green bonds are like any other bond, if we think about it simply from a financial point of view, risk return profile, and so on. Uh, but the key difference is, is what the proceeds are used for and, and that they should be dedicated uh, in some way towards energy transition or something like that. If we think about some of the innovations that are happening in the market, aside uh, green bonds, we see rising emissions for social bonds, uh, also uh, new issues from CO2 intensive corporate. Uh, which is a really interesting area of development. Uh, and then also what uh, we've called KPI link bonds or key performance indicators, uh, meaning there are specific targets or objectives that need to be met. So clearly an area where there's a lot of exciting in- innovation. Uh, and uh, we imagine good opportunities for investors to on one hand think about uh, their fixed income investments, but at the same time uh, have ESG related objectives met. Well, that's all we have for today. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. My thanks to Felipe and Shang for sharing their insights with us today. Please join us next week when I'll be speaking with John Stevenson uh, to discuss the investment prospects in the healthcare sector. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.